Hey guys, we have an incredible podcast coming your way. We're going to teach you exactly how to look great, feel strong at your ideal body weight. How? By teaching you about the latest innovations and the discoveries about hormones, the herbs, the natural approaches that will help you to optimize your stem cells, your mitochondria. Please stay tuned. This is a show you must listen to. You have fewer than a one in a million chances of getting the disease from B12 deficiency. And, you know, you have a one in two chance of dying of heart disease, a one in seven chance of getting breast or prostate cancer. So, you know, put it put it in perspective. But anyway, that's the way I deal with it is I've always recommended a B12 supplement. Uh, if you follow the diet, I recommend just to cover all issues. Oh, good. We do have some questions from the audience. So yeah. how, how do they get, uh, uh, you know, these are the questions that we get a lot of, but the vitamin B12, the omegas, the vitamin D, uh, the loss of cognition, how do you prevent, uh, prevent that? And how do you prevent long-term deficiencies? What, what, what do you do, uh, John and Chef Ag? What, what do we do to uh, help support that B12, the omegas, the vitamin D? I recently had an omega fatty acid test done and, you know, I, I'm, I'm making efforts to increase my omegas from the whole plant-based food. But what, what, what is it we need to do in, in these areas, B12, omegas, and vitamin D? And I know, Mary, you often step in to help uh, make sure John gets his uh, nutrients uh, uh, met, right? Sure, my talent is met. Yeah. She does a great job cooking. I don't, worry yeah. about, I don't worry about nutrients. I just worry about feeding him stuff that he likes. You know, you know Nick, it's just so backwards as far as people's understanding. The diet that you and I eat that AJ teaches to her classes is the most nutrient-dense diet there is. More vitamin C, more vitamin E, more et cetera. Uh, it's just that we were raised with the wrong orientation. We were raised with the idea that protein and calcium are the most important nutrients, whereas there's never been a case of protein or calcium deficiency ever reported. It's a non-issue. But when you're raised with a, with a, uh, a, a, a standard that protein and calcium are how you judge all foods by. Yes, our diet is is protein deficient, but excuse me, I don't know anybody that has a protein deficiency disease or a calcium deficiency disease. I know people with scurvy. I know people who have suffered from lack of dietary fiber. You know, it just it just has never happened when you eat the diet that's intended for people. Now, the only two exceptions to that are vitamin D, which comes from sunshine. Vitamin D pills and shots are toxic. You know, I've been to spend some time reviewing the literature on using supplements of D, and they show consistently the best studies out there, pretty much non-controversial, that taking vitamin D in the form of pills or shots increases your risk of falls and fractures. You know, look at, look at last month's uh, issue of the Annals of Internal Medicine. They, they go into this in great detail. This is a lie. Where do you get vitamin D from? It's called the sunshine vitamin. That D12 cholesterol under the skin converts into vitamin D, as Pritikin often would say. What you want to do is, is B12 is a whole other issue. Uh, you want to read the couple of articles I wrote on my website on B12 to understand the issues. It's, it's extremely rare, but it has to be dealt with, the idea of B12 deficiency. And I've dealt with that in two major articles. Or in the book, The Starch Solution, there's a chapter on it too. 
Yeah, and I, and I wrote about it because I've been looking at blood for about 44 years, and under the microscope, you can see uh, various forms of pernicious anemia and ovalocytes and the uh, iron deficiencies, microcytes, and, you know, having studied Guyton Medical Physiology and Merck's Manual and all the textbooks and studied with some of the top blood hematologists, it is a legitimate concern. And so, but animal eaters can have B12 deficiencies, intrinsic factor. They could have an issue of, of absorption, uh, certainly microbleed. If they're eating a lot of dairy product, they could have anemia, right? I mean, these things uh, are, tr are are reality. The way I dealt with it over 40 years ago, and the way I still deal with it, is is we recommend that people take a non-animal source of B12, and that way you cover all arguments. Uh, even though the risk of getting B12 deficiency as a disease is le is less than one in a million, you have fewer than a one in a million chances of getting the disease from B12 deficiency. And, you know, you have a one in two chance of dying of heart disease, a one in seven chance of getting breast or prostate cancer. So, you know, to put, it, put it in perspective. But anyway, that's the way I deal with it is I've always recommended a B12 supplement. Uh, if you follow the diet, I recommend just to cover all issues. But the details are on my website, drmcdougall.com. And uh, you just put in the search engine vitamin B12 and you'll read two recent articles I've written. And... Dr. John McDougall, um, there was a study by Dr. Lee, and I, I remember uh, that Pritikin presented this as well, and it was referenced in one of his books, but he, he had people eat rice only, which was white rice, and he had them compared to protein nitrogen retention eating chicken and rice, and he discovered that the group eating the white rice only absorbed 20% more protein nitrogen than the group eating the chicken and the rice. And the final conclusion of the study summary was there's something about chicken that's inefficient as not as uh, well suited for human absorption. So you have to take in more grams of protein from animal to get the same absorption that you get from rice. Have you seen that reference study? No, but again, Nick, I would say that's interesting, but irrelevant. It's impossible to design a diet that's too low in protein for the human being. If you do it on any natural foods, you cannot do it. Our need for protein and amino acids is so low that it is impossible to design such a diet unless you make it synthetic. You know, you'd have to feed somebody white sugar. That's it. But any natural diet, uh, there's loads. Oh, you can grow an elephant. You can grow a hippopotamus. You can grow a giraffe. You ought to be able to grow a puny little human being, don't you think? Yeah, uh, that's the Journal of American College of Nutrition uh, published a study showing that babies had normal growth on vegetable protein so long as they got comparable calories and the intake versus uh, adding rice with lysine or theronine to make it so-called a complete protein to, to match the amino acid pattern of milk. And I know Dr. Reddy showed studies with infants where they otherwise would have starved in India and they were uh, basically just added calories from the rice only, or, excuse me, potatoes only uh, and and, and wheat only, and the, the children grew, grew to full size during the most rapid growth rate period of their lives. So it's really a calorie deficiency. They're starving in some of these countries. They're not uh, de de deficient in protein. They have to have enough calories to have a protein sparing effect because starch has a what, what's called a protein sparing effect, meaning the starch goes to calorie needs of the brain and the muscles and the body, and the, whatever little proteins in the potatoes and the rice and fruits and vegetables goes to your repair and your protein needs. Is that how it works? 
I'm sorry, Nick. How, how what works? Well, just basically the ability of starch to serve as a protein sparing effect, meaning the well, starches with its low protein content, like the uh, New Guinea natives have less than 3% fat, 3% protein, 94% complex carbohydrates, and they get the, their, their, their calorie needs met. So that protein that they get, the little bit of protein in the food is all they need. Well, again, you know, that's one of the excuses people used for along the way saying, trying to tell the truth about something that is so obvious, you can't design a diet that's too low in protein. What they say is that the reason that you can do this on vegetable foods is because of the protein sparing effect of, of calories. So, you know, because uh, public officials, scientists, etc., can't get around to the idea that it's impossible to design a protein deficient diet. They've got to find some ways of justifying what the truth is with what their basic beliefs used to be. And they say, well, it's because of the protein sparing effects of calories. Well, it doesn't matter because you're always going to have sufficient protein, whether or not you have a high calorie diet or not, as long as you eat enough food to meet your calorie needs. But you, anyway, I got into too many too yeah. much, way off track there. No, it's okay. Arnold, at the peak of his career, obviously one of the most successful bodybuilders in history, and certainly as an actor and as a governor. And here's a picture of him, age seventy. You know, he he had a scare, and you know, people say, well, it was it was a birth defect at birth, and they always kind of blame heart problems on you know kind of genetic defects. But you know, we won't go into his medical history. I know some of the doctors that work with him, but we will say that he's gone uh, largely plant based, uh, publicly saying that you really need to go plant-based. You don't need to eat animal protein to get all the protein you need to build a massive, incredible physique. No, that's coming from Arnold. He even said milk is for babies. And he, early on, I have his book on my shelf here where he autographed and he said, you do not need, here, I, I, I have it right here, right, right from Arnold Schwarzenegger himself. And in the book, he, he says this, he says, you do not need any dairy product. Uh, Arnold, the education of a bodybuilder. And then this incredible book that, that he, he produced, Arnold Schwarzenegger, Encyclopedia of Modern Bodybuilding, all of the history. And by the way, Ray, uh, Ray Wilson, who, who's in, uh, 92 years uh, young. Uh, in, in my coaching program, um, I've got him on a plant-based whole foods diet and he works out three times a day. And you know, you're always fighting sarcopenia or muscle loss. So you've got to figure out ways to, to keep and build muscle and maintain a physique and good health with exercise. So I think everyone here agrees we need exercise on a daily basis. Uh, but Arnold Schwarzenegger himself is on a plant-based diet and dairy-free. So what do you think about that with Arnold? What's that, John? He's he's muted. He is muted. For I say, are you asking me? Yes. Well, you know, Arnold's gotten wisdom. That's all. I mean, Arnold's very concerned about the environment these days. And, you know, he realizes uh, what the truth is about uh, all these high-protein diets that he's been involved in. And maybe, maybe some of the other ancillary treatments have been involved in to gain a big muscle mass. And you know, he's getting older and he realizes he's got to take better care of his body. I think mainly Arnold's, as far as I know, and I really am not an expert on this, I think Arnold's main motivation for changing his own personal diet is he's worried that we're not going to have a planet left. And we're not going to have a planet left in 30 or 40 years, ladies and gentlemen, so get prepared. Because of protein. And protein has a problem on the environment in terms of the greenhouse effect. 
Please explain that. Well, Nick, it's because protein in most people's mind means meat, uh, particularly beef. You know, that's what they associate, and it's beef in particular, but all livestock. Uh, beef is probably worst. Farm fish is second worst. You know, then you're dealing with uh, poultry or, and then pigs. Uh, you're, you're, you're dealing with all animal products being destructive to the environment for various reasons. Uh, they produce an awful lot of methane. You've heard about the methane farts and burps. Well, that's only part of it. Uh, it's tremendous wastage in terms of water resources, land resources, a tremendous amount of destruction in the environment. No, Nick, that just last week they announced that the uh, Amazon rainforest, for the first time, is, is, is no longer a carbon sink. In other words, it's no longer a part of the world where they absorb more carbon than comes out of that part of the world. Because of the destruction of the forest, mainly to grow burgers, beef, we've got ourselves in the situation where one of the few opportunities we had to save the planet is gone. And that's the, the rainforest in South America. Wow. And, you know, I think Pritikin, as an engineer, was a visionary. He was an inventor. He never claimed to be a medical doctor. He was not Dr. Nathan Pritikin. He was Nathan Pritikin. And his ability to analyze situations and, and apply logic to so much of this, and he combed through so many medical journals. He, he shared his entire medical library with me. I don't know if you know that. And I've been trying to kind of pull everything together and start uh, imaging, digital imaging. And I did send you one of the books of his nutritional uh, experts that worked with him, uh, Nan Bromfen. Did you receive that book I sent you? You're muted. John? I say, I say it's been a while. Yeah, but I sent you a book, Nan Bromfin, about a, a year ago, Nutrition. Oh, that, for me, that's a while, Nick. <laughs> I have to check and, and see what I got it around still. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but the point is, you know, we, you and I also, you know, probably have this in common uh, with, with Nathan Pritikin, who's shown here. People may not know our origin, but I wrote this book. Live, read this book, Live Longer Now. And that for me was a turning point after I saw him lecture at Pasadena, California for an all day lecture. And at the end, I showed him my before after picture just following this book. And he hired me to come work at the Pritikin Longevity Center based on my results having dropped 50 pounds, uh, you know, following uh, th this kind of a program. So, you know, I, I'm, I'm kind of one of these guys that just. I seek the best, and that's why I've always kind of pursued your work and everything that's going on. I know you have a personal knowledge also of Steve Jobs. Uh, how did that go about in terms of knowing that here he was a, a plant guy um, following a vegetarian diet, but was it a healthy vegetarian diet? And what happened in the computer industry that exposed him to toxins that might have caused his pancreatic cancer? It's a long story that's gotten a million hits on YouTube. It's why did Steve Jobs die? Yes, you'll find uh, you'll find the lecture I gave on that on YouTube, and you'll also go to my website, drmcdougall.com, and my November 2011 newsletter is a full discussion with all the references. And what it turns out, my conclusion of the whole situation is Steve Jobs worked for Hewlett Packard, got exposed to some uh, uh, metals in particular that caused pancreatic cancer. In his 20s, he developed pancreatic cancer. He didn't die till age 56. And his cancer was very slow growing. It took 20, 25 years. 
for the cancer to grow from a uh, initial tumor cell to a full body of cancer that killed him. Along the way, he got some of the worst medical care that you could imagine by uh, doctors who are <laughs> typical doctors. Let's just leave it at that. But he had got he went through unnecessary surgeries. He was belittled as far as his eating practices go. When I believe that the way he ate is the reason he lived 25 years with pancreatic cancer. Uh, anyway, some terrible things happened to him because of of the people around him, the doctors in particular. And, uh, you know, he ended up actually changing from a vegan diet because he got so much pressure from his family and his physicians. He gave up his belief that you should eat a vegan diet for ethical reasons and to save the planet because he was told that the reason he was in, so the health he was in was because he didn't include animal foods in his diet. And I'm sure it was emotionally very hard for him to spend a lifetime as a vegan and then in the last few days and weeks of his life, he was forced to eat animal foods. Must have been horrible. Anyway, that whole story is up there. It explains to you why Walter Isaacson, who's out with a new book now, Walter Isaacson wrote a biography on Steve Jobs. He appeared on 60 Minutes. And if you watch the interview I did, uh, I have to tell you, I ripped 60 Minutes to pieces uh, based upon their discussion with uh, Walter Isaacson. And I know Walter Isaacson read my review of his work and of his book. I know he saw it because I heard lectures he gave afterwards that made him made me understand that he understand that he made a horrible mistake when he evaluated Steve Jobs and his natural history of cancer. But anyway, all that is up on uh, on YouTube. All of it discusses the uh, there's there's a million hits on that particular lecture. Somebody ought to have brought it to 60 Minutes uh, uh, producers and said, "Hey, this McDougal thinks that what you did is a darn right lie, and you ought to correct it." It was, it was a lie. I mean, it was, it was misinformation. I think it was just plain out of stupidity. But somebody should have corrected them. And they should have corrected their story about Steve Jobs. And they should have Walter Isaacson and myself on together to discuss the fact that this man was horribly mistreated by the medical business and that his, uh, his diet actually prolonged his life and that he lived for 25 years with pancreatic cancer and that the treatments he had, including the liver transplant and even the removal of the tumor, were unnecessary, brutal, and made him suffer horribly in life. It should have never been done by well-informed conservative doctors. So what do you think about that, Nick? You told it like it is. You know, November 2011 newsletter. Yeah. By the, by the way, I've got, received no criticism. Yeah. In fact, the, the natural history of pancreatic cancer, which is discussed in detail, professors from all over the world wrote me and said, you know, he probably had he probably had pancreatic cancer more than twenty five years, based upon the doubling times of cancer. So scientists and researchers understand what I said was true. Uh, you know, you you can go into the basic science; it gets to be a little complex as to the natural history of cancer and how cancer cells div divide and so on. That's all there. And uh, chemotherapy and radiation does not enhance the immune system. Is that a challenge in, in today's world? Is well, there maybe a better way to enhance the immune system than using chemotherapy and radiation? Of course. It doesn't. It, it, I never heard that chemotherapy helped the immune system. It destroys the immune system. Anyway, uh, these, these are, are, are arrows in the quiver that should be saved for the last ditch. And, and generally, they should be saved for treating symptoms in patients. Because these treatments, whether it be radical surgery, radical radiation, radical chemotherapy, except for a few 
and they're very few. They're like less than 4% of the cancers out there. Otherwise, they do more harm than good. And uh, history is going to look at back at what the people in the Cancer Institute did to fellow human beings, and they're going to consider that the most brutal part of medical history that ever existed. You know, worse than bloodletting, worse than anything that has ever been done to our fellow human being. Of course, they're going to have some competition between the heart surgeons and the chemotherapists as to who was the worst. Or maybe it's the diabetic doctors. Maybe they're the worst. But, you know, they're basically all working for the buck. And they refuse to see the truth because it interferes their ability to pay for their, their car, their kids' education, et cetera. They refuse. It's just like Upton Sinclair told us what in his book, The Jungle, back in 1907. He said, a man is incapable of seeing the truth if it conflicts with his salary. Wow. Okay? So, uh, you know, it's, that's the problem is my colleagues, well-trained, you know, basically good people, uh, they do what other people do, which is they make money. And that's what they do most, best and most, regardless of whether it helps or, or helps or hurt their fellow human being. It'd be nice if it helped their fellow human being. That'd be a great business, like the one I'm in. No, we're well, telling you to eat potatoes, or the one AJ's in, telling you to eat potatoes and rice. Is there some natural chemotherapy, uh, like uh, the broccoli sprouts, uh, solifering? I, I, I don't know, Nick. Maybe vegetables, garlic, leeks, onions, cranberry. Are there some things about certain plants that might help? They say so, but nobody's ever done the studies. Uh, the, the, uh, the, the research has gotten to the point where the American Cancer Society in uh, February of 2017, no, no, uh, it would be, it would be uh, February 2017, maybe 2015. Anyway, uh, the American Cancer Society came out and told doctors that diet, the kind of diet that you and I recommend, Nick, should be the fundamental therapy given to cancer patients. It should be basic nutrition. That's the American can you can find that on my website if you look for it. If you look for it. Dr. Otto Warburg won the Nobel Prize in 1931, proving that cancer thrives in low oxygen, acidic environments. Uh, Pritikin once alluded to the fact that they took petri dishes and cells, and they prevented one group of cells from sufficient oxygen. The cells mutated, and some actually uh, kind of converted over to cancer cells. And then the ones that were given sufficient oxygen in the petri dish, and you know, toxins were removed in exchange as normal blood circulation would occur. Occur, uh, there was no cancer that developed at all, and he won the Nobel Prize. So it's interesting that uh, when we eat a, a whole foods diet, uh, I know there's a lot of talk about al alkalinity. However, the overall diet itself is, is the key factor, not just if you have alkaline blood, somehow you're going to prevent cancer. I mean, cancer uh, has many different cause causal factors. So what, what do we need to do for our audience to know uh, how to deal with heart disease, diabetes, cancer? Is there one unifying principle? And can Chef AJ give us a rundown of her typical breakfast, lunch, and dinner so that uh, I know she's got to get going. But John, what is the answer to that? I got to get going too, Nick. There is, first of all, if you've got the original tapes that Nathan Pritikin did, I want you to send them to me so I can put them up on our website so people can view them for free. I think we talked about this before. I'd like to, if you have any of the original original audio tapes that he did. 
because I lost those in the fire. And um, oh, you know, I'd like to be able to put them up on our website. Yeah, I put your website up, by the way, drmcdougal, drmcdougal.com, and it's in, in the chat here. And yeah. Chef AG, what, what is your uh, uh, website? My name, chefaj.com. Okay. And, and Chef AG, what is a typical uh, day for you, breakfast, lunch, and dinner, that would be, say, your, your favorite? sweet potatoes and broccoli. I eat it almost every day for lunch, not because I have to, because I want to. I prefer not the orange sweet potatoes that most people are familiar with, but I prefer either the Hannah yam, which is a cream colored, or the Japanese, which has got a purple skin. I just, just like those better. They, they taste like eating cake. I like them roasted rather than steamed or microwaved. And often I like to put them in the air fryer because they get that nice little crunch. And then I have it with some broccoli. I don't eat breakfast, not because I'm trying to intermittent fast. I never ate breakfast, it, even when I was fat, unless you count Slurpee's breakfast. I really don't get hungry till about 12 o'clock. And dinner is some kind of soup, stew, chili, anything that I can throw in the Instant Pot. I, you know, I, I'm busy. I work and I don't want to spend a lot of time in the kitchen. So if I can't throw it in the Instant Pot or the air fryer, I don't make it unless it's for a special occasion. But mostly starch, mostly potatoes. Also, I love rice, but I just love potatoes more and whatever salad or vegetable I have and then fruit for dessert. When I eat dessert, even if it's compliant in my own recipes, I, I, I have a, I'm still a food addict at heart. So I really try not to have, you know, richer foods, even when they're, you know, compliant in my house, because it's just, I just rather just eat it, eat a damn potato. That's what I say. And Chef AJ, I know there's proof that the longest lived people in the world in Okinawa eat a lot of purple sweet potatoes and oranges and things, right? And in the Seventh-day Adventists have a very long life here in the U.S., even though they're under as much stress as the rest of us. Asian Americans uh, live long. And in the USA, Latinos eating a lot of beans helps a lot. But I know I read something where the average person barely, even at the high end, eats about five pounds of beans per year, but they eat two, 120 pounds of meat and 100 pounds of sugar. So why are people afraid of eating beans? What do you do to get rid of the gas for beans? And is gas deadly? I mean, you, you just have to get used to that biodiversity and the transition the gut goes through, right? What, what do you say about beans and how important are they into healthy uh, eating? Well, I don't eat them because they give me, I mean, I have a terrible time with beans. What I'm going to learn to do now is I just, for my birthday, got these sprouting jars and I'm going to start sprouting lentils and see if I can tolerate them that way. So I don't, and I, Dr. McDougall can correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't believe there's one particular food or one particular starch you must eat. I don't believe that you have to eat beans or nuts or you'll drop dead. I don't eat either. I'm not dead. I eat most of my calories from starch and most of those starch calories are potatoes and I've been doing it for 10 years. I've never felt better. I'm told I've never looked better. I'm 61. And, you know, I, I, I think beans are great. They're healthy. They're delicious. But you won't drop dead if you don't eat them. But for people that have trouble, what I learned from the doctors on the GI Health Summit is to go lower and slower, chew it well to a cream, maybe do some of the more gentle ones first, like soybeans or lentils. Don't eat as many. And I'm told that sprouting can really help people with that digestibility. But that, that's really like not my, my, that's above my pay grade. So I'll let Dr. McDougall take yeah, I eat beans uh, cooked in water, frijoles de la olla, and I go to Mexican restaurants and I order it all the time. I, I have 15 bean salads. I love beans. I know early on there was this period where I was transitioning from an animal-centered diet, even though, uh, you know, I, I, I love beans. I thought, God, I'll just switch over to beans, rice, fruits, and vegetables. And I was afraid I was going to lose muscle density, so I, I made sure I was eating enough uh, plant-based uh, protein foods, kind of like Nehemiah Delgado, 
who, who's a, a world-class bodybuilder. But I found out the amount of protein that he's trying to consume is unnecessary. I uh, literally uh, was trying to lower my cholesterol. I got off chicken and fish, and I thought I was going to lose my muscle density. Little did I realize that I got all the calories and protein I needed from potatoes by themselves or vegetables and greens. I didn't have to eat beans. I just like them. So, John, what do you do about beans? I know Mary makes you beans, right? We actually have beans for dinner tonight. And uh, neither one of us have a problem with beans and gas. But if you do, as AJ mentioned, is you can always sprout them. That gets rid of the sugars that people can't digest. And she should be able to tolerate them quite well. Thorough cooking helps. Uh, beans are an interesting part of the diet. They're a little bit more solid. And so people have an easier time transitioning to uh, a diet with a lot of beans in it when they go from a diet with a lot of animal foods. It's, it's a nice transition food and tasty food, and you can get too much protein from beans, but it's pretty hard to do, you know. So, yeah, and Mary cooks her beans a long time to make sure they don't have gas in them. Yeah, so I which, soak them overnight and discard the water, and then, and then I cook them in a crock pot uh, for over a couple days, and, and that usually always takes care of it if, if you like beans with spices and things. And I put a lot of vegetables with my beans, too. Well, Nick, I hate to, I hate to. Yeah, we're ready to wrap up. So I just wanted to thank both of you. It's an amazing, amazing show. Thank you for being uh, up close and personal. Thanks for Mary joining us. Thanks, Jeff AJ, for uh, bringing Charles on. I've never seen Charles. This is great. I, I, I want to have him send me a little clip of his stand up because I love stand up comedy. You guys have just been outstanding, amazing, and I, I love you both. And please sp spread the word every day of our life. We've got to save lives. And like uh, Heimlich, maneuver but i think john in the long run you're going to be responsible for saving more lives than any doctor in the history of our world uh and you know carrying forth the words uh from nathan pritikin and i'll continue to share everything i have i have the only video of 60 minutes where uh nathan pritikin our three patients and i'll share that link with you if you haven't seen you know, it nick really i tell you i have a lot of visibility uh because of our website and our presence yes so any interesting material you have i have a whole section on nathan pritikin Okay, we'll, we'll back where... link to my site, nickdelgado.com, and then that way, basically, we'll be able to share all this great information. I'll make sure I put it in a, se a special section, so when you backlink, then, you know, every one of us, we, we, we'll all be able to share the truth about what our origin is, our history, with where Pritikin used to bring Dean Ornish, and not Dean Ornish, excuse me, he'd bring Dennis Burkett, and Huel Trowell, and uh, Ernest Winder, and I think you knew Ernest Winder, did you? Over for dinner at least once. <laughs> Oh, wow. How fantastic. I, 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 you know, as I say, I grew up in a time when people were just pioneers in this whole thing. Yeah. So yeah. I, got a, I got a lot. I get a chance to meet a lot of the people who really uh, deserve credit for this. Yeah. But anyway, Nick, yeah, I'd, I'd like to share the things that you've had. We've talked about this before. So uh, we'll move forward. We'll do it. In a, a form that fits on our website. Uh, I'd like to give as much honor to Nathan Pritikin as I possibly can. Yeah. And Chef AJ, who, who's your guest next to you? Yeah, this is Bailey. So she just wanted to say hi. <laughs> Isn't she cute? I hope, I hope we got all everybody's questions answered. It was sure fun to be with you. That was an amazing show. And now I want to put it all together for you. How do you locate these incredible natural herbs, organic, the best, designed to help you to improve your hormonal balance, give you energy, help you to look and feel great? DocNutrients.com. This is our sponsor. There is a special quiz. Please take the immune system quiz and it's going to give you some incredible feedback and ideas about how to strengthen your immune system during these troubling times. 
Be well. It's 2021, and we're here to support you.